0: Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and with me by the power of Wi Fi this week is my colleague, Olgan Ullich. And I suspect that we're here by the power of Wi Fi, Olgs, because we had the gazies last night. We've had to dust ourselves off this morning and get ourselves <laughs> prepared for this podcast. And as most people would suspect, out of us two that do this podcast every single week, you are definitely the party animal. I was at home in a very respectable hour tucked up in bed and I heard that you saw the sunrise is this true or false
1: I did I didn't see it rise but I I could I could almost, I could see it on the horizon I could I could see it incoming from the horizon um no I don't go I'm I don't go too hard I'm okay I haven't had much sleep I'll say I like, will say that much but like I didn't go too hard there were there were people who did go quite hard um it was legitimately a very enjoyable night like from the in the hall like where the big ceremony was to just mingling with the entire nbl community it's cool to have everyone in one space we don't get that too often
0: no it was awesome and that was the first time that i had been to a ceremony like that i know they've done it in the pre covid days but uh, to your point i loved it i said this to you i I, i'm not trying to be an annoying journo trying to talk to all these players or interrupt (laughs) conversations but i thought it was so cool Because you see, I mean, so many of these guys are friends. with those coaches and players and they don't really often get a chance like this to hang out. So it was an awesome night. Uh, Xavier Cook's MVP, as me and you both, you know, predicted. Or we thought that's who we would have gone with. Andrew Gaze's speech was one of the uh, great highlights of the night. Absolutely (laughs) hilarious stuff. But we'll we'll quickly go through the awards a little bit here. There was also some news that you broke at ESPN.com.au this morning. The Brisbane Bullets have a head coach. So we're going to get to that a little bit later as well. And we'll talk about these play-in games starting on Thursday night. We'll be in the building for the Phoenix and the Perth Wildcats. So we're going to get into that. And obviously, Cairns, Taipans, Tasmania, Jack Jumpers as well. So there's plenty to get through. And of course, if you need any news, go to ESPN.com.au. You can catch Olgan's story about the Brisbane Bullets. You can catch his story about Xavier Cooks winning MVP. Uh, and make sure you check out uh, the jump on Wednesday night. Xavier Cooks the is going jump. to join us. So depending on when you're listening... You'll be out of here from the MVP if you listen to this podcast fast enough. Xavier Cooks is going <laughs> to join us. And Kane and Copes, Ols, have you caught Kane and Copes? Can you believe that I've got a TV show with my name on it? Is it any good? Are we about to get fired?
1: <laughs> no, you're not. No. The guests are cool. <laughs> Mark Jones was cool. Josiah Johnson was cool. You, hmm. Honestly, you just go, go for the guests and the and the rest takes take care of itself. Trust, like Trust me. It is an enjoyable watch start to finish.
0: Love it. We've plugged everything we need to plug. So, Awards night, though, if we just get to the names, I was watching Xavier Cooks walk up to the stage, and this was, again, one of those awards that we both said, look, if Bryce Cotton wins it, awesome. If Mitch Creek wins it, it's going to be awesome. But when I did see Xavier Cooks go up there, and he would have been my pick, I I was thinking of where he was two years ago, and we're sitting back, and if you haven't followed Xavier Cooks and what he's done overseas, maybe you don't know a lot about him, but he's a guy that carries this profile to the league, was injured again, was never able to get healthy, And now when you just think of the story of the last two years, grand final MVP last year stepped up when Jalen Adams was injured in the grand final series and carried it on this year to go even better, win the regular season MVP and just become an absolutely elite player in the league. I was just happy for him, man. I was happy for him to take this award. You could see that he was thrilled and I think a very, very worthy winner.
1: Yeah, I think we forget about Xavier Cook's growth. I think we look at someone like Keanu Pinder. And we look at his growth and it's it's just like right in front of our faces, just because it happened so quickly over the past two years. Zayt Cooks, from the moment he stepped into Sydney, you know, four years ago, he was just like a a raw, you know, tweener sort of guy, you know, gets up and down rebounds, but he he wasn't, he didn't have all of these tools that he can put together to be this Mm -hmm. MVP level guy. And just very slowly over the next few years, you could see him put it all together. The touch around the rim got a bit better he learned how to, to to use his his athleticism and his tools defense to, to be really good defensively and then it just all came together to the point where he's now the best player on the best team in the league he can he can be that guy he can lead a team um, and he can have this skill set which quite rightly puts him you know in that fringe nba conversation um, and has him effectively running away with the mvp award he, 120 votes to Bryce Cotton's 96 votes that's not that close
0: no, I, I'm not that surprised that you know, Bryce and Mitch were super close. Like, I, I didn't think that there was going to be one player that was well down the list in, in voting, because I think there was a fair case for all three of these players. But huge yep. uh, for Xavier Cooks there. We can go through... We don't need to go through every award bit by bit, but I was happy for uh, Sam Wardenburg. That might have been a little bit of a surprise, and we discussed this last week. And, you know, I, I at least theorized or suspected that there might be some votes come through that, first of all, respect what Sam Waterberg has done in the season. So this isn't some sort of token award. Absolutely deserves it. But also, you know, part of it might have been, hey, you changed this two weeks ago. We already know yeah. who we would have voted for <laughs> for the Rookie of the Year. Sam Waterberg, you deserve this uh, this, this award. And he has got better as the season's gone on.
1: Yeah, and, and I, like you said, I don't think it's like a pity vote. I think it's more no. of like a protest vote of like if if let's <laughs> say let's say it is neck and neck between the two Sams, Sam Wardenberg and Sam Froling, and it it effectively did come it was it was neck and neck. Wardenberg got forty seven votes to Froling's forty five votes. That's yeah. so close. That's that's two votes, right? Um, and so you know if it is neck and neck, like who are we going to give the edge to? Probably give it to the guy who you thought who who would have won the Rookie of the Year had they not changed the criteria mid season. Um, so it, it feels like uh, an injustice was righted. Like I feel like most people feel that, um, and look, I, there was a fear as well that because Wardenberg had some really solid performances in the back end of the season after the yeah. voting was already in, and so there was there was a, a small fear that hey, maybe those like th- those are not going to count toward the, you know the the consideration for this award. So, oh, is that going to hurt him? But it's good that it didn't. It's good that people sort of saw it beforehand, and then it, it the the back end performance sort of warranted the win even more. I think.
0: Uh, I do want to have a bit of a hat tip to Antonius Cleveland as well. uh, Defensive player of the year. Lots of discussion over the last week or so with the three finalists and the criteria, all those types of things. Uh, We were in the building on Sunday. And look, we can discuss this later if you want. But what an absolutely insane final day of the regular season. But you were sitting next to me and I couldn't shut up about Antonius Cleveland because he just went absolutely (laughs) nuts. And he has to be up the top of most people's list of favorite players to watch whether it's the defensive stuff whether it's throwing down dunks whether it's knocking down threes and talking to the crowd so you can get into it whether you think other guys should have been in the final three all those types of things but uh, we discussed it last week and like i said i think he's a big chance to win it because the players and the coaches are the guys that have to put up with going against antonius cleveland on a weekly basis and they hate it because this guy is an absolute menace and i thought his speech was super classy as well straight away mentioning all the other players, Justin Simon, uh, DJ Hogue, Jarrell Brantley, he, he rattled mm. off a bunch of names that are awesome defenders in this league and even advocated for the all-defense team, which I think we, we're we at a stage where the league has enough talent. They could do that.
1: It would be cool to have like one team. I don't think we need like an all-defense second team. No, an all Defensive no. first team, like if you put one together, this year, it would be elite, right? And you know what? I'll tell you what it.
0: we'd be doing. We'd be talking about the snubs that didn't get in the all-defense team
1: we absolutely would we absolutely would one thing though i was told last night when things got a bit rowdy after the awards that antonius cleveland dropped his award and it shattered everywhere so uh, so a so, the, so the nbl if you're listening and i know you're listening if you can get if you can get antonius cleveland a secondary or just like a replacement award um i think he would appreciate that because i think he dropped his award and i think it's in a million pieces right now just in the lobby of the crown i assume
0: What else was on your mind after leaving this awards night? And again, I don't think there was anything controversial. I I walked away and basically once the finalists were there, I was going to be happy for everyone. There's a couple other things that stood out. Obviously, Monster Night for the Cairns Taipans. I mean, they Mm. absolutely cleaned up.
1: Yeah, I thought... So I reckon going into it, I think the Breakers had a feeling that they might do like a nice little sweep, right? That they'd Mm -hmm. get the that Modi Mayo would win over Adam Ford, that Will McDowell-White would win most improved over over Keanu Upinda. I think they felt like they'd get a bunch of those, and they didn't, so I don't think they're too happy. They also didn't get Mm -hmm. Jarrell Brantley in any All-NBL team, and we can talk about those snubs. Um, I want to mention two things quickly. Uh, All-NBL first team, and I'll ask you, what do you think about Milton Doyle? So what's interesting is that people are saying it's Milton Doyle in there over DJ Hoag. Right, but Milton Doyle got more votes than Derek Walton Jr. did, and I think a lot of us had Derek Walton Jr. as like our lock for that first team. Um, but DJ Hogue was was in that that second team, and even if Milton Doyle or Derek Walton Jr. didn't get those votes, it wouldn't have been DJ Hogue; it would have been Barry Brown Jr. So it's it's do we is it these other the people who vote the, the coaches, assistant coaches, captains are they just putting a ton of stock in points or is it? Maybe it's just these are the guys who they have to prepare most for because these are guys who is going to be scoring against them the most. Like, is that the way? Do you reckon that's how they're considering this? Because I was surprised to see Milton Doyle get that amount of votes, um, and and DJ Ho to be you know basically the, the second outside guy on the OMBL second team.
0: Yeah, I was just scrolling through my inbox as you were talking there, trying to find the 3 by 3 article that we did, which, by the way, we drop every Wednesday on ESPN.com.au with Peter Hooley as well. And a few weeks ago, we did... uh, Who do you think was the All-NBL first team? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the team that was... And (laughs) I'm only saying this because I remember that I put Milton Doyle in there. I'm pretty sure the team that I picked was the one that, in the end, uh, was named. But I, I, I still was... And first of all I think that Milton Doyle deserves it. Yes. Um but I was I was curious. Like when I wrote that team down I kind of was like this is what I think is cool. I think this is a great team. I think these guys deserve it. Do I think it's actually going to happen? Maybe not. Uh, so I think Doyle what the the point of difference he has for this Tasmania team is pretty workmanlike, let's face it. Yeah. And then offensively what he can do breaking down defenses, scoring, getting any shot he really wants offensively, whether it's from the outside, the step back, dribbling and pulling up in the mid-range. We've seen him finish at the basket. I think the overall package, again, when you talk about who's voting for this award, it's pretty hard to defend. And I think teams coming up against Tassie, a lot of the times are like, look, this team plays pretty slow pace. If we can stop Milton Doyle, We'll go a long way to putting ourselves in a position to outscore this team. So I think there's a respect uh, level there with what Doyle's been able to achieve.
1: Yeah, and I get that. He's if you go up against the Jack Jumpers, Doyle is a focus, right? And so I guess he's front of mind for the, the voters for this. Um, I just feel like, and we've spoken about this before that, but there's so much of this is narrative driven, um, where it's it's either the, the narratives that get formed throughout a season or it's reputations that that somehow. Um, you know, get get formed you know, toward the start of a career and they kind of stick with you. And I feel like we, we spoke about Milton Doyle early on as, you know, is he going to kind of crack his way in there and then all of a sudden he's part of that conversation because that narrative has begun. I think DJ Hogue was a victim of that because Keanu Pinder was such an impactful player throughout most of the start of the season that he was the guy that we talked about a lot. When DJ Hogue was doing really, really good stuff on both ends of the floor um, you know, he's a guy who if there was a, an an old defensive team, I think he would be part of that too, and so I, I feel like he's sort of a, a victim of you know Keanu Pinder's success and Milton Doyle sort of has the Jack Jumpers to himself to shine, and so you know he can he can sort of rise to the top, whereas the tight ends sort of like they they they're forced to rise together, and so no one gets to, to rise above the other. But I, that's just my feel uh, with that one. But do do you have any any other? What do you think about Golding in there? Because I guess. Brantley was an inside player. Tucker was a consideration for an outside player, I guess. Um, were there any other guards or out, like, quite, quite outside guys who, who, would, who would have missed out over Golding, even though I think Golding is deserving to be in there?
0: Yeah, I would have had Golding in there. I think uh, when you look at the importance to the team all season long, even when Melbourne were losing uh, to start the season, nothing's really changed. The only thing that changed later on in the season is that his volume of shots got higher. And by the way, his percentage continued to get higher as well. I mean, he he was he had an outstanding season, yeah. even if it was a bit of a roller coaster uh, for Melbourne United. Yeah, I, I didn't really have any takes. Again, I thought that if you're doing these teams, and when we went through the exercise of doing it together, I found it harder to decide among the big men. Like you mentioned, Brantley. Mm. What about big Sauce Williams? And congratulations for signing a two-year deal and staying in the NBL. We're all very excited for that, not only because of what Sauce Williams does on the court, but for the fact that we can podcast with him, we can get him on our shows, (laughs) and he is an outstanding personality.
1: He's such good value. Um, He was, yeah, he was, you know, tough to miss out too. It was him, Brantley was one, Robert Franks, who, you know, I don't think he had his best season, but, you know, he's sort of in that conversation. Um, you know these guys. Antonius Cleveland didn't make an All NBL team either, and so you know there were, there were a lot of quote unquote snubs. Um, But I feel like it's it's. I, I kind of went into this season thinking like, I wonder if this this import class. It seems like a bit a bit weak, but I I, I feel like there's a lot of dudes who you know could have snuck in there. I I think it's sneakily deeper than than I initially thought it was. Um The other awards thing that. I think is worth mentioning is uh, Mark Beecroft from the Cairns Taipans, one executive of the year, um, and uh, Adam Ford, one coach of the year. I wonder how the Sydney Kings feel about this, um, nah. finishing first in the league. Uh, and I get it. It was the expectation going into the season, but you know, meeting that expectation is very tough to do. Um, they put together a really quality roster, good top-tier guys, really good depth. They guard really, really well. They play a really exciting brand of basketball. They're, from what I understand, right around the cap or slightly over it. So they're they're, they're spending money, you know, relatively responsibly. Um, And, you know, Chase Buford was third in coach of the year and Chris Pongrath didn't win executive of the year. Year. So I wonder uh, what the feelings are like in Sydney. And I imagine if they're feeling a certain way, they will tell us about it. Um, I imagine that they're not too happy with that outcome considering they sort of swept the league and they were the elite team of the league for practically its entirety.
0: It's interesting because we discussed this on last week's show. And again, I said, if I had a final vote, I would have voted for Chase Buford coach of the year. Now, mm. they, were on top of the, they were on top of the standings from start to finish. We know that as defending champion, that's difficult to do. Now, they haven't won the title yet. But if they do go yep. through and win the title and, and they are the heavy favorites, He would have been in the league as a head coach two years in a row and they would have won the title two times and he doesn't have a coach of the year award. So if you want to take credit away from Buford, like that's fine because you might say, well, the team's great. But then maybe Pongrass should be executive of the year. Now, Cairns did an outstanding job. So again, this is not like taking away credit because Adam Ford was superb. I think he deserved it. Again, I thought his speech was awesome. But it's just fascinating because with a lot of teams, typically when they're good, people will take credit away from the coach because they'll say the team is, well, you can't lose with that team. So then really it's the front office together. to put the like, team Of together. course you're going to so, win. Yeah, so it's interesting for a, a team to get both. But when you consider where the Cairns type ends were last year, difficult, a, a more challenging market. I mean, it's not Sydney or Melbourne in terms of, yep. of getting guys to, to come across from overseas. So they nailed their imports. And I think the attitude of this team and the personality of this team starts with Adam Ford and also to Gia McCall, who signed up for this team again to be back for a second season. So I, I definitely thought it was interesting who won the awards. I don't have a problem with it though. I think very well-deserved. And I think overall for a team like Cairns, as we said, to dominate the awards night, I think is a good thing for the league.
1: I think so too. Um, and again, I think I feel like we've said this the entire year, but credit to Cairns and New Zealand Um for being those small market teams who uh, new zealand is not necessarily small market but they're not you know melbourne or sydney um or brisbane but nailing your imports is nailing all three imports is really tough to do uh, um not many teams do it i think sydney's done it as well um but for those two teams to do it because that's sort of like make that makes or breaks whether they're going to be successful or not right a, a sydney can sort of you know, they, they've been around enough that they can rely on the depth and, and their local talent like that. They've got Xavier Cooks and Dean Vasiljevic. With the Taipans and the Breakers, they had to nail those three imports. And I think both of them did. And I think they're quite rightly in those those two and three spots because of that.
0: All right, this is the perfect segue to continue talking about the Cairns Taipans. So let's get to these playing games and let's start with the second playing game on Thursday night. So Cairns Taipans hosting the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. The Taipans, for a little while, we thought maybe in the box seat to get that second spot and not have to play in the play in. But they are nonetheless. And they've got a Jack Jumpers team who all of a sudden has some injury turmoil. So let's start with the Jack Jumpers straight away. Josh Magette is not going to play. There was a photo that was circulating on Twitter yesterday and, and looked just nasty stuff with the facial injuries. And Keanu Pinders in the same boat, by the way. But uh, Josh Magette, really nasty. And the interesting thing is, the Jumpers haven't played a single game without this man in the lineup since they came to the NBL. He is somewhat of a Effort. barometer for this team. They play at the slowest pace in the league, but yet Majet feels like the engine for this team where all of a sudden it's like, okay, you want to play up-tempo a little bit? All right, I'm going to launch a three from the car park. He, he, is just, he, con- he controls everything. So this is a humongous loss. And also, when he adds his scoring, I looked it up this morning because it does feel like when he scores, they're very difficult to beat. They're eleven and four when he scores double digits this season. So he is just so important to everything they do. Is this too much for the Jack Jumpers to overcome? First of all, and then secondly, how do they overcome it?
1: Uh, it's it's going to be really tough. It and Majet's such an interesting case of a, a kind of player who, to a casual fan, you look at him and you know you look at his shooting splits and they're not great and they haven't been yeah. great since he came to the NBL, um, and. You think, and you look at him, his stature, you think, okay, how effective could he be? But with a Jack Jumpers team that can have its struggles offensively, he at the very least can, like you said, control the pace of the game. He gets them into their stuff. They look at their best when they're in the flow that they're running. Um, You know, the ball is moving and guys are moving, and he is the main guy who fosters that. He's elite, I think, as a decision maker out of pick and rolls too. Um, and again, it's just his his energy and just like his will. And that's like a weird, like wanky word, but you know, he he kind of brings that urgency. You know, he's got that veteran urgency that you kind of need in these situations, especially in the playing game. You know, he's the perfect guy to have. He he understands the circumstances he's in. And so you know, I I don't think they have crazy depth of that position. You know, like Jared Weeks will probably step in. I guess Sean McDonald can step down. And, and I think he can play a bit of point too. Um, but then, you know, those guys step down. It seems like Clint Steindl's a, a game-time-ish decision. That's what it, that's what they dropped a press release that sort of insinuated that he'll be reassessed in Kansas. So I guess that's like a game-time sort of decision. Um, and so without him as well, you know, Tasmania's luck- lucky that they have the depth to sort of fill those spots. Um, I just don't have to have the point guard depth to to keep an offense ticking over the course of a 40 minute game against a, a Taipan's defense that has been pretty good throughout the entire season.
0: Really good, really good defense. This can't Taipan's team. We'll get to some numbers in just a second because even with Keanu Pinder out of the lineup, they've been really, really good. So, what about yeah. Isaac White. Now, we were speaking to him last night, and I said, This three by three <laughs> article I've got coming out today. One of the questions we we're asking, and I won't give any more spoilers away from this article because you should go and read it. But he said, Name an under the radar player to watch in the playing tournament. Now, I wrote Isaac White because of the reason that you talk about weeks, probably starts. Uh, there'll be some other guys. And, and also, I think, you know, Scott Roth, shorten the rotation, just play some guys some more minutes. You can figure it out. Can you cover the loss of jet? I'm not 100% sure. But I I do think that Isaac White might see some minutes. And he has been a winning player for this team this season. So he's 11th on the team for total possessions played because his minutes have been a bit sporadic. Sometimes it feels like he's playing 15 to 20 minutes. A Knights doesn't play at all. But when he's been on, he's been a positive player. He's over 50% from three, really uh, small volume there. But when he's on the floor, the Jack Jumpers have outscored the opponents by nine point nine points per one hundred possessions, which is the 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 highest net rating out of all of those eleven players on the floor. Now, again, it's a pretty small sample, but I I think that what he brings to the table in terms of just that chaotic energy, defense. I mean, he's tenacious defensively. We'll see. I think he's going to see some more minutes, and I'm curious to see whether he has that little injection of energy. That Maget brings to this team will it be as organized as it is under Maget? Maybe not, but I, I'm excited to see Isaac White potentially play a few more minutes.
1: Well, like I said, though, like so without Maget, you know, you you wonder where the flow of the offense is going to come from. And so if they if they do get in points, which the Tasmania does get in these points quite often, where this sort of, everything looks a bit stagnant, right? The ball stops moving. They kind of and then they revert into to iso ball. Maybe gets to. Rashad Kelly, you know, in the high post mm. three straight possessions, and all of a sudden, then they're not looking great. Isaac White is a guy who you can throw in there and you know that he's going to bring an offensive punch. He's one of the better, you know, shot creators on that team. He can create his own shot, and at the very least, he's going to be aggressive and, you know, have his eyes on the rim. And I feel like they're going to need that, especially yeah. without the, the playmaking of Josh Majette. And like you said, he's out of every player shooting more than one three pointer a game, he leads the league in three point percentage. Um, hmm and that when we've seen the spurts he's had um and, and how much that has helped this team throughout the season and he just he's just got lost in a a pretty deep team is a team that you know so many teams around the league would love to pick from the role players that tasmania has from whether you know sam mcdaniel's not even getting minutes there'd be a bunch of teams that isaac white could help in this in this league um you know sean sean mcdonald th- those sort of guys and so I think he can be helpful and and I think especially if Clint Steindl is out, which I'm assuming he will be, um, he's going to have to play.
0: Yeah, and at the very least, when you're playing a one-off game, and and the Jack Jumpers will have a second opportunity if they don't win this game against Cairns, but in a one-off game where you win and you're through, let's see, because typically when Isaac White plays, if he's having an impact, you can see it pretty immediately and it might be one of those games where you get the 15 minutes from him and he scores you double digits, knocks down a couple of threes. So uh, that will be interesting. You mentioned Cairns and their defense. So it's been fascinating to me with Keanu Pinder out. Now, we described him as a guy that's on the periphery of the MVP discussion. But the reality is, when he hasn't played, the, the top ends haven't lost. I think they're 8-1 when <laughs> he's been out of the lineup so far this year. I mean, they've continued to elevate. Part of that is obviously getting Tajia McCall back, uh, but the five-man group that they've got right now with Bull Qual, DJ Hoag, uh, Shannon Scott, Tajia McCall, and Sam Wartenberg has been dominant. Absolutely dominant. It's their most used five-man lineup on the season. Net rating of 21.4 points. Uh, they have been sensational. And the defense has been locked down. Now, when they, you replace Wartenberg with Pinder, they're still an, a very positive lineup, but not to the extent that they have been with Wardenberg and, and Hoag. Why? why? Why do you think that is the case? Because it, it's been fascinating to see how things change a little bit. I think when Pinder plays, and again, he, he is an elite player. They would love to have him in the lineup. But it is a little bit Pinder-centric, top of the key, physicality, getting to the free throw line. It seems we, when, with this other lineup, we've seen the growth of Warnenberg, a, a DJ Hogue is a more expansive offensive role. It's just a bit of a different look.
1: So I think I could tell you exactly why. Um and I've I've had I've thought about this, but firstly, you said the Taipans were eight and one without Pinder. Is that what you said?
0: It's off the top of my head. I well, believe that's correct or around the mark. Yeah,
1: yeah, okay. And it was weird because the game he got in, he came against Southeast Melbourne where he got injured, I think, relatively early. Um, so they went and lost that game. But but the thing that I'm thinking is, I don't know if Pinder and Tajima McCall can necessarily play together in long stretches. Um, so you've been you were
0: be on this you were on this immediately. I, I yeah. kind of wasn't I wasn't totally on board with this, but this was something that you were you were flagging pretty early.
1: Well, because you you we're looking at just how the Taipans want to play, right? They basically they they love to have let's say it's a guy like either McCall or Pinder. Let's say that the two of you know the same beast, um, and they have you know these athletic tools to you know get two feet in the paint. Um, draw in a lot of defenders and, and get on the rim and either they're going to the free throw line or you're collapsing on them and you're just, and they're just spread out so far with shooters, right? The floor is so wide when you only have one of them on, right? Whereas if you only, have, if you have two of them on, that floor suddenly shrinks, right? And you don't get those same kickouts to shooters because, you know, you don't have to, you know, stay attached to a Tajima call if you've, if you've got Keanu Pinder posting up on, on the other side, right? And so, I feel like it's just having that one, you know, athletic penetrator with four relatively elite shooters around him. I think that's like, that's the way that the Taipans want to play. I think it, we found that out really early. They, they just want to play five out. And you can't really play five out if you have two non, two effective non shooters on the floor. Um, and so I guess it makes sense that with Pinder out and McCall in, they're effective because it's just McCall doing his thing, you know, running the point, penetrating, and you've got shooters out there. Um, And then if it's Pinder without McCall, I think you get the same vibe as well. It's just them playing together is, I think, the issue.
0: Yeah, they haven't done it a lot this year as well with the groups that they wanted because McCall obviously missed time. So I I think the challenge would have been uh, just trying to figure out what was the the correct lineups and just figuring out the rotation because I, I understand your point. I think that makes sense. But they were also having challenges with Pinder Hogue, Wardenberg, the three bigs defensively. Cause I think then you've got some guys that have probably been asked to defend guys that uh, you know, perhaps is not, is not their, their uh, one would. So yeah, I think there was some mm. interesting lineup decisions and and substitution patterns for Adam Ford, but let's face it when you've got a bunch of talented guys, like it's a pretty good problem to have, uh, but it, it's, you know, the, the type ends are just one of those teams where I look at them and I'm like, who's their best player. I mean yeah, maybe CJ CJO, but but there is a bunch of yeah. guys.
1: Yeah and I I wonder if you know those start of the season numbers would change and, and I don't know if we're even going to get to see it cuz Keanu Pinda is in is out mm. and probably out for the semis and and we'll see how long what is it a, a, he broke his orbital bone is that I don't know if that's like the wording of that uh, but it's a significant like facial injury um but I wonder if those lineups would perform way more effectively now that I think Sam Wartenberg has taken a leap, just as far as his development, I think he's shooting it with a lot more confidence, and I also think he, he's guarding a lot better. And I think that's a difference too. I didn't think Sam Wardenberg guarded well to start the season, but I think he's like he's clearly grown in that area. He's clearly gotten better, um, and so I do wonder if those lineups that does have that do have Keanu Pinder, Sam Wartenberg, Hogue, uh, Scott, and Bulkwall. I, I do wonder if they'd be way more effective now that Sam Wartenberg has taken this, I think, leap from you know the first half of the season to the second
0: half. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating game. Of course, the winner of that is going to move on. The loser, that's going to be a Sunday game that they will back it up. So either in Cairns or Tasmania Sunday afternoon for a chance to move through and play the Sydney Kings. But the winner of the Cairns stipends and Tasmania New Zealand is waiting for them. Yep. A bit of a difference in the travel there. If it's Tasmania, Tasmania to New Zealand, pretty short flight. If you go in New Zealand to Cairns, that's, that's, a, that's a long journey for a semi final series.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, there's no situation where, thankfully, there's no situation where a semi is Perth, New Zealand, because we've had we've had grand final situations with those two teams in previous years. And my God, that's the as as a player, I would hate to be a part of that. Um, just the travel in that sort of thing, and as a consumer, be, having to watch a a five thirty game one day and then two <laughs> days later watch a nine thirty game, it's just like absolute hell.
0: Well, it's on the table. But for that to be the case, the Perth Wildcats have to beat the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix on Thursday night. We're going to be in the building. I cannot wait to, uh, you know, from purely selfish perspective. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get to do some travel over the next few weeks and get to some places I haven't been. I haven't been to Tassie. I haven't been to Kansas this season. I haven't been to Perth. So I'm excited, whoever wins through, to hopefully get out and about and see some of these playoff games. But for Thursday night, we don't have to go anywhere because it's at John Kane Arena. We saw these two teams. We were in the building at the State Basketball Center a couple of weeks ago, and the Phoenix destroyed the Perth Wildcats. Offensively, the Wildcats could do nothing to stop this team. I went back and had a look at the numbers. The Phoenix were 81% at the rim, and in the paint overall, they were 70%. They just could not stop anything. Big sauce, Alan Williams, 27 points, 14 rebounds, and seven offensive rebounds. I think they had double-digit offensive rebounds in the first quarter. This was a physical demolition of the Wildcats. So can they turn this around? And by the way, the news this morning, Ryan Brockhoff is going to play. That is huge because he was outstanding in that game as well.
1: He was the most important player in that game. It was was that the 26-point game. I want to say yes. six three-pointers. Like He was elite in that game. Um, look, I just don't, and I, I feel like we've, we've been critical of Perth, but I think based on the data, the data says that they're not good defensively and therefore we make, we have opinions based on that. Um, I just, I just think Southeast Melbourne is going to be too organized, um, offensively. I think, like you said, Alan Williams, Mitch Creek, they're just too effective inside the paint. Um, especially Alan Williams from a rebounding perspective against a team that's not a good rebounding team, you know, I just think they're just, it's just not a good matchup for Perth, in my opinion. Um, I just think, I think Southeast Melbourne has the pieces to take advantage of all of Perth's deficiencies, unfortunately. Um, The only, the the opposite part of that is, it is a play-in game, it is a one-off game, and if, and it's the sort of thing that you know, sustainability is, is probably good over over the course of a series. But if you just if you just have guys who can light it up and get shots up and hopefully catch fire, you know, that's made for a playing game. And so it's the sort of thing where who knows, right? Bryce Cotton went one of 19 the other night. You know, that's not going to happen again. Um, you know, it's just anything can happen when you have, you know, a Bryce Cotton and a Brady Matic and these sorts of guys on your team. So, but but if if I had to bet anything on it, you sort of, you bet on the team that I think the the matchup favors South Melbourne.
0: It does. They're also at home, but you're exactly right. If this was a five game series, I'd feel more confident about picking the Phoenix, but it's a one-off game. And you can talk about the defensive stuff all you want about the Wildcats. And we've certainly done that, but you also have to be scared because they're the best offensive team in a league and they can put up a whole bunch of points. So I hope personally that we're seeing a game that's, 110, 105. Shots <laughs> being knocked down, left, right, and center, and it's just an absolute shootout. And we're in the stands, cracking up, laughing at the standard of basketball we get to see because there's a bunch of stars, two of the MVP finalists in this game as well. In a one-off win or go home game, it does not get any better than that. So it's going to be awesome. That one's at 6:30 PM, so it's an early tip-off for the uh, Melbourne fans, but hopefully they can get there from work. And there's a big crowd uh, for the Phoenix for a home game. All right, before we wrap this up, Brisbane, so. I think, you know, over the last few weeks, there were certainly significant rumblings that the Bullets were looking to not mess around with this coaching hire. And a lot of the names that you you reported, a few of the names there, you can get into that. And certainly some of the names I heard, they were all kind of familiar names. They were local guys, guys that are very familiar with the league. Uh, What was the process for this happening so quickly? I mean, the Bullets, we've spoken about the instability all year. This at the bare minimum, Seems like a decision that has some direction behind it, with the idea of entering the off season with some organization around the club.
1: Yeah. So this the decision was that the search the search process was run by Lash who was recently brought in by the Bullets as a senior basketball advisor. That's his title. Um, so he was the one who you know guided this search. Um, the initial names that were being thrown around. Were Justin Schuler, who eventually got the job. Um, Judd Flavel was a guy who they were having conversations with for a good amount of time. Um, Mike Kelly was also part of those initial conversations. Um, eventually, you know, Greg Vanderjacht he ended the season relatively well, and so when it came down to it, uh, it it was Kelly Vanderjacht and Schuler. Um, I'm told that there was a conversation that the team had with Trevor Gleason. Um, who currently an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors, um, I'm told that Gleason has a desire to return to the NBL. Uh, and so there was a conversation there. I've had, I've been told a few different stories, um, about how that conversation went. And so I'm, I'm not comfortable reporting, um, you know, specifics of it. Um, but you know, it, it, it wasn't, it didn't get too deep. It didn't get advanced. And so, uh, that conversation ended and and it got to a point where, um, you know, they, they liked Justin Shuler as their guy, Melbourne United just got knocked out of the playoffs because of the absurd ending to the regular season. And so um, yeah, Melbourne United is, is out. And so they have the opportunity to go and, you know, lock in their guy as quickly as possible. Um, And, you know, when we talk about uh, assistant coaches who are, you know, next up in the, the coaching ranks, you know, Justin Schuler would have been toward the top of that list. You know, it's him. It's guys like Jacob Chance. Um, you know, these are sort of the next... These are the new Adam Fords. Like, these are the new, you know, Jacob Jacobis. Like, these are the guys who are going to get those next jobs. Um, and Shuler has been around. Um, and I, I think we shouldn't underestimate that. You know, a, a lot of guys around the league like him. He's been involved in that Australian Under-17 program since 2012. And so you got to think every elite junior player since 2012 has gone through a Justin Schuller team. And so, for example, when a guy like Isaac Humphries come through Melbourne United for his first season and Justin Shuler has been there for, for four or five years. Oh, you know, Shuler was a part of the coaching staff that coached Isaac at the Australian under 17 on the Australian under 17 team at the FIBA world champs back in 2014. Right. And so he's had, you know, a, a touch point with most of the local players in the league. And and there's so much value in that, right? You have a guy who knows the league extremely well. Uh, He's one of Dean's trusted assistants. He's the guy who practically writes up the majority of their scouts. Like he is, I think, a a really good basketball mind. And if you're gonna have a franchise and foster someone, I I think he is sort of he's got runs on the board, and 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 he's sort of worked his way up to the point where he deserves a shot at this. And I I think if there is an if there is a, a legitimate chance of turning that culture around in in Brisbane, then I think Schuler is is a, a really solid hire.
0: Well, something to look forward to for Bulls fans anyway, because obviously it was a long season there and there were a lot of questions about what was going on around the club. So that's a that's a nice signing. Good work to Just Justin, who, as you hey. said, is putting the hard yards. Yeah, stability. Exactly right. That's that's. I think that's what the fans want. And as we've said, you know, I mean they've been packing out that building all season long as well. So there will be a. They'll be excited. They'll be excited for that. Should we wrap it up? Playing tournament, first weekend coming up. I'm uh, thoroughly excited for what we're going to watch. Alex, you do you need to take a nap or something? What what's going on?
1: Why would I why would I need a nap? I'll still recover. Whatever would, would I need a nap? No, look, let's just say that like don't <laughs> don't don't put me in a room full of 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 like every everyone in our NBL community and not expect me to walk out of it with a scoop loot or two. Um, that was quite enjoyable, but yes, thank you to the Crown for a lovely evening. Um, I, I hit the tables for a short amount of time. Uh, mm. It was short because I am now uh, out of pocket. So, uh, but we'll recover. It'll be okay. I'll get. I'll have a nap, and by the time I wake up, it'll be what seven thirty. What time is the jump start?
0: Eight thirty tonight.
1: Eight thirty. So I'll have a nap until eight thirty. We'll do that. I might watch LeBron try to break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record and then I'll have a nap.
0: Well, we love it. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, lots going on. Lots going on in the NBL. And by the time we talk next week, I think we'll flip back to the usual Tuesday schedule. And by the time we do that, there'll be a couple of teams that have bounced, will be underway in the semi-final series and uh, we'll be able to break all that down. It's going to be fun. We'll see. We'll see who makes it through to next week. i Pleasure as always. Next week, let's get together in person. This Wi-Fi stuff is cool, but let's hang out next week.
1: Let's do it. Let's get in the studio.